Philippians 1, 21 through 24. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now if I live on in the flesh, this means fruitful work for me, and I don't know which one I should choose. I am torn between the two. I long to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. So as probably everybody here, if, if not everybody, most of you know, um, we're in a season right now where Pastor Chris is on a leave. Um, and so that's why you have been seeing me and uh, Brian and Oscar preaching uh, during this time. But Brian and Oscar, they assure me that they're doing ministry, but I keep seeing pictures of Oscar in pools. So you be the judge. I don't know. Um, but this leaves us with, with some help, a need for help with preaching. Um, and so we have a guest preacher here today. Um, his name's Brian Howard. Some of you may know him, some of you may not. Um, I could tell you that he is the president of Acts 29, which isn't insignificant because we're part of Acts 29. But more importantly, he's been a friend to our church. He's been a mentor to people within our church, and he's been very willing to step up with very short notice. So Brian, thank you for being here today. We're looking forward to hearing from God's word from you. I'm going to start by just reading all of Philippians 1 to you. So I, I don't really want you to open your Bible. You can, I guess, but I just want you to listen because I want you to hear what Paul is writing to this church that he planted that we're going to look at today. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart because you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for, for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard into all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord in my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, 
Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and join the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now you hear that I still have. We have a daughter at Point Loma University. She's our fourth, so we've already had two kids graduate from college, and we have two kids in college in San Diego. Uh, some of you know our kids and have met our kids, like Ryan and Alexander have hung out with our kids, Alexandra, not Alexander, but, but um, uh, two are graduated and out, and two in college in San Diego, one at UCSD and one at Point Loma. Now our little girl who's at Point Loma, we just dropped her off, and they do this deal where it's like a three-day goodbye ceremony and all the dads are crying and hugging their daughters and then you see them again like three days later because they come home and visit. And so we drove to San Diego Friday because this is parent weekend, but our daughter Kinsey wanted to come home for parent weekend because a lot of her friends, feels like everybody at Point Loma is from Orange County. So everybody was coming home. And so we drove to San Diego on Friday, had lunch with our son at the taco stand if you've been there in La Jolla, super good. And then um, went and picked up our daughter from Point Loma and drove home. And on the way home, all she wanted to do was listen to The Cure. My favorite band in high school in the 80s, who I saw many times. And uh, so I'm super proud because my youngest daughter just wants to listen to The Cure, not the crappy music of today. And, and so, so I think it's, it's really interesting because my kids know all of the 80s music well, they know like it's it's like there's been an 80s music um, like renaissance, I guess, which was really we thought was really great music. Now there's great music in every generation, but when I think back to the 80s, now I grew up in the 80s, you know, so the 80s, and I was a teenager, you know, but the 80s felt like just a really calm time. I don't know if it really was or not because I was a kid, so maybe it just felt calm to me. But it just felt simpler in the 80s. The music was much better. I went to see U2 at Sun Devil Stadium in Phoenix for $5 a ticket and sat in the sixth row. So you can see me on the video, on the Rattle and Hum video. I can point it out if you ever want to watch it with me. You could buy a concert ticket for $5, unlike some of you who spent 1000 for Taylor Swift tickets. Right? So, I mean, the 80s was a really, really good time. Now, when I think about today, it just feels like a rougher time. You know, I was driving around trying to find cheap gas a couple days for my daughter's car. And it was like, I found it for $5.50 at Arco and I was super excited, $5.50 gas, you know, right here just up the street. Because it feels like a, a, a rougher time. And if you think about the last three years, I'm not quite this tall. You had an NBA basketball player preach last week. But 
these, like these last three years have felt really, really tense. You know, and I travel a lot. Like we just got back from Cancun. We were there for 11 days, three days of work and some fun. Uh, I'll travel again. I leave for Dallas tomorrow morning. So I, I'm the president of Acts 29. So I work very closely with Matt Chandler, who's the chairman of the board, if you know who that is. So I fly out there regularly and we work together. And so I'll be out there tomorrow morning. These last three years, traveling around and seeing the tension that exists in church is really challenging. In fact, you know, four years ago, I was having a conversation with a guy who works with pastors full-time. And he said to me, a a full-time counselor, PhD, he said, I don't know why anybody would want to be a pastor in today's society. And that was before COVID. Now, I work with pastors for a living. So I know lots of pastors. I just spoke to 300 pastors and their wives in Cancun 10 days ago. And I work with pastors, know them, and I think these are challenging times. And these challenging times have infiltrated the church. So when you think about the like ideological fights that we talk about with our kids all the time, we literally two days ago at the taco stand, we're talking to our junior and college son about Hamas and Israel and who's right and who's wrong. Like we weren't even taking a side. We were just asking him like, what do you think about this? And there's all kinds of protests on the UCSD campus about Hamas and Israel and Gaza and Israel. Like these are, and I was just, I was saying to my wife just yesterday, it feel, feels like 30 or 40 years ago. I'm not positive it was like this, but it felt like we were more united. Like you could put up the American flag and people were like, well, we're, we all live in the United States. It feels like today, There's a lot of ideological conflict about a lot of things, and even Christians are divided on these things. Now, I want to start by saying these are challenging times, but these are the times that God has chosen for you and for me. This is our time. Like, Like, John Piper is old. You know, I know him. I just sent him a text and asked him to preach at our conference in April. Tim Keller just passed away. You know, like the theologians that I grew up listening to, they're getting old and they're dying. And this is our time. This is the time that God has prepared for us. So you think about the people we read and learn from and listen to, um, they're not going to be here much longer. And God has prepared us to live in this time. For you Lord of the Rings fans, you may remember a conversation between Gandalf and Frodo in the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo speaking of the times in which he lived didn't feel like he was up for the task that was in front of him. And he says this, I wish it need not have happened in my time. So do I, said Gandalf, and so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. This is the word of Gandalf. You don't get to say thanks be to God. But you know, listen, it's not for us to determine the times that we live in, only what to do with the time that is given us. It's like you were born here. Most of you went to high school in Orange County. My kids went to Tesoro. You might not like living in Orange County. And that's because you haven't been to other places, you know? And so so we, we're, we're going to Mexico City in a couple of weeks. We're just watching a video on it. And then we're going to San Miguel. And so we're just watching videos about how to get from Mexico City to San Miguel safely and not get shot or kidnapped. I mean, our kids are grown, so I guess it would be okay. But still, you know, like we, this is the, this is the place where God has determined that we will live. And these are the times that we live. And now, 
How do we handle our time? How do we live? How do we continue on? Now listen, the Bible answers these questions with exact clarity, showing how to live well in the times that we live in. And I also want to say to you that the answer is one of pure optimism. It's not this bummer like, well, it's going to be super hard and people are going to fight. and There's another presidential election coming. We don't know what's going to happen, but eventually you'll die and things will be better. That's not the viewpoint of Paul at all, not in any way whatsoever. In fact, it's a view of pure optimism because we have clarity and optimism and hope. By the way, hope is different than optimism. Optimism's like, I think it's going to go good. I'm feeling good about it. Hope is like, I know it's going to turn out well. And so I have a confidence in God based on what he says. Now, let me give you a little bit of context for this text. We have clarity and hope now, and we have clarity and hope for the future. Now, perhaps you're familiar with the book of Philippians. I've taught through maybe 12 or 13 books in the New Testament, but I've never taught through the book of Philippians. So I've read it a number of times, but I've never taught through it. But it's written by a guy named Paul the Apostle. I also don't know if Chris has taught through it. I talked to him today, but I forgot to ask him if he's actually preached through Philippians or not. But it, even if you've heard this uh, this text before, it'll be different than probably what... Oh, there's Chris right there. Probably be different than what you've heard in the past. So listen, in many ways, Paul was like us. Paul had been saved by God, like that's you, after living a life that was anti-God. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of you lived a life that was anti-God? Some of you a little bit more aggressively than others, you know, but Paul had been saved by God. Paul was a church planter like I am, like Chris is, like most of you aren't, but that's but you're a part of a church plant, right? And Paul was a minister of the gospel. Now, Paul planted a church in Philippi, so he knew church planting like you know King's Cross. So Paul planted this church, and, and but the time that Paul lived in was rough. Like, he didn't have Frodo and Gandalf, but but if he did, he'd have been like, these are the times God has prepared for us. And when you preach the gospel in Paul's day, you faced prison time or even death. That was the time that he lived in. Like, we're not super afraid that anybody will come in here today and arrest me. In some places, they are. Like, I have a friend who's a pastor in Turkey. His name's Karem. They're never sure who's going to come in when he's preaching. Like different, different, different time. But in Paul's day, that was the way it was. So Paul ended up in prison simply for preaching the gospel. And that was where Paul found himself. Because in Paul's time, if you preached like this in a church and in a church plant, you would go to prison and you might actually die. So from prison, Paul wrote a letter back to the church that he planted. That's the first chapter. I just read the first of four chapters. He wrote a letter back to the church that he planted, to the Christians at this little church plant in Philippi. And he tells them how to live well in the times that they find themselves in. But hear me, hear me say this, because God brought you here today. All right, Paul, God also intended for us to learn from this text because God intended these words for us to learn, to be challenged and to be encouraged by these words these words from Philippians, from Philippians tell us how to live in our time. It's not the 80s. You might look back. There's a, there's, a, there's a movie called Midnight in Paris. Perhaps you've seen it. I've seen it a number of times. It's kind of a, a play on nostalgia. It's a Woody Allen movie. And um, it's like always looking back, going, the time I lived in was better than this time. We, we tend to sort of think positively about the past. 
So, but, 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 but Paul says, no, this is the time you live in, and God intends us to learn how to live and even view death in the time that we live. All right, now that's the context of the text that was just written for us, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, Paul says to this church plant in Philippi, for that's far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Now, I gave you a really long introduction because a lot of you don't know me, but it's not going to be a very long sermon, so calm down, and it's kind of cool in here anyways. All right, listen, my hope today is to encourage us and to help us know how to live in this time where things maybe aren't super simple, but not as hard as Paul's time. All right? Maybe not awesome, but maybe not as, but definitely not as hard as Paul's time. And I simply want you to see four truths directly from this passage. All right? Four truths directly from the Word of God, four truths that will help you live well in our time. Here's number one realize that we are dual citizens. All right? Truth number one from this text is realize that we are dual citizens. So listen, you have two citizenships. I travel a lot. Uh, I, I realize that I've been on six continents. I've never been to Antarctica. Antarctica. I'm not sure if I have a super interest in going there, but uh, it feels like I maybe should, so I can say I've been to all seven. And I have friends who live all over the place in different countries and different continents. And I have some friends who are dual citizens. In fact, I have a friend who was born in Scotland who now lives here, and his daughter was just made a UK citizen this past week. She is a dual citizen. You are a dual citizen, and so am I. Now, what does that mean? To be a citizen means actively participating in a society with rights and responsibilities. A citizen is not an outsider, but an insider, not a visitor, but a resident. I've been in Mexico for 10 days. I was super happy to get home. You know, just the pillow. Some of you are young, you don't care, but it's just like, it's just your own bed. You know, your own bed is so nice. And I eat the same thing for breakfast every morning, one tortilla and three eggs. You know, you'd think you could get that in Mexico. You can't always. And so I'm just like glad to eat my breakfast again because I live here. I visited Mexico, but I'm not a dual citizen. A dual citizen means that I'm an active citizen of two countries or societies and an insider. Right? You got that? Insider. That's an important word. An insider to both. So Paul saw himself as a citizen of two worlds. Paul argued to Roman authorities in Acts 22 that he was a Roman citizen. He argued, you can go read Acts 22, he's like, I'm, I'm a Roman citizen. I have all the rights of citizenship. So he argued that he was a Roman citizen. The people in Philippi were also Roman citizens. There were a whole bunch of former Roman, uh, Roman soldiers who lived in Philippi. And the city was known for its patriotism in lieu of its Roman citizenship. But Paul also saw himself as a citizen of heaven. Let me, let me read you what he says to these people just two chapters later in, in Philippians 3. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is completely aware of his dual citizenship. That's why he says in this text, for me to live is Christ, 
That's citizenship over here. And to die is gain. That's the citizenship over here. He says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. I'm an insider over here. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better, but to remain in the flesh is far more necessary on your account. So listen, we are dual citizens, insiders to both world worlds where we are citizens. We have responsibilities and right, rights related to both. We're citizens of the United States with voting rights, legal rights, in insider knowledge. Now, maybe other than Alexander, we can't figure out how to get Taylor Swift tickets, but we do know the good restaurants. Like I always tell people in RSM, there's like three restaurants. You know, there's more, you, you know, better restaurants than Hannah's and Tutta Fresco and Carmelita's. Like you, you know, the, you know, Terra Sushi, if you go over the bridge over there, you know, that's where we go to sushi because we live right on the other side of the bridge. So like, you know, where the, you know, where the shortcuts are. People, people visit here and they text me from the freeway and they're like, how do you live here? Well, they're driving on the 405 at 430 because they're stupid. You know, we don't do that. We know how to like 133, skip it, pay the $6, take the toll road. Like there's a lot of different ways to get a Dana Point. You can take Crown Valley. You can take La Paz. There's so many. You can take the back roads now to San Clemente. You can take the toll road or Antonio, right? I don't ever sit in traffic here unless I'm forced to drive to Los Angeles, which we in Orange County try to not do, right? We don't need to go to Pantages Theater because now we have our own theater, right? So, so listen, because we're insiders, we know where to put our blankets on July 3rd. Isn't that right? I mean, we were with some of you. I think we were with the Poblettis when the sprinklers went off on July the 4th. Right, So we know where to go, where to put the blankets out, where the best parking spots are, because we are insiders, we are citizens. We know where the locals go, but we have a second citizenship. And most people don't know, like most people only have one citizenship. They think about this citizenship. They live and they die. They hope to win their fantasy football league and not lose it like me. By the way, there's a pink flag flying in front of my house right now. You can drive by and see it. If you've ever seen it, you know that's where I live because I lost fantasy football in my neighborhood. So if you lose in my neighborhood, you wave a huge pink flag every Sunday for 18 weeks. I've had to wave it twice because I'm not very good at fantasy football because I'm here, not on my phone right now. All right. So most people just hope to win their fantasy football league, have good kids, you know, drink good wine, watch sunsets and be as happy as possible. But listen to me, all jokes aside, we are not like everybody else. I am not like my neighbors. I'm different from my neighbors. I'm an insider to two worlds. I'm a dual citizen. Paul told the Thessalonians that we don't grieve like the rest of the world when death arrives. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Encourage one another with these words. Paul says, we don't grieve like we only have one citizenship. We're dual citizens. We're different than our neighbors. Now, does that mean we bow out and like, I play in the fantasy football league with my neighbors. And when our neighbors get together on Friday nights, we go. We hang out with our neighbors. We know lots of people here. Like my kids all went to a Royal Vista and Chandra led the children's choir at a Royal Vista all those years. So she knows everybody in Rancho Santa Margarita because she raised all of their kids. That's why we don't go to Hannah's and Carmelita's. We have to go over the bridge where the RSMers don't go. You know, like that's Foothill Ranch. It's so far away. Anyways, so listen, 
Let's be encouraged today to live with a continual conscious awareness of our dual citizenship. If you got it, will you just say, we got it? One, two, three. We got it. All right. Just want to make sure you're away. Uh, here's the second truth. We have two homes, but only one is permanent. All right? You with me? You should be able to remember all of these points. All right? I wrote it like that on purpose. We have two homes, but only one is permanent. All right? We're dual citizens, but only one of our homes will last forever. How do we know this? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5.1. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. He called it a tent, all right? One of our homes is a tent, and the other is permanent. I just bought a tent. We haven't camped in a long time, like 15 years, but we ride our bikes through O'Neill, and one day I'm like, we should go camping. So I got a tent, and I put, like, my family's like, what are you doing? Well, I had a $500 gift card to Amazon that I got for as a gift, and I was like, what, I was going to like buy food with it or whatever, and, the, and my wife's like, no, this needs to be spent on you. The last time I get a gift card, I bought a scooter, and it got stolen one week later on the UCSD campus because I lent it to my son. So this time I decided to buy a tent and some camping gear. Now, we haven't used that tent yet, so it was like a year ago. But I set it up in my garage. I'm like super sweaty. Like, will it like will our air mattress fit in this? And everybody in my family's like, this is so funny. We're never going camping, right? And so, and you can't get into O'Neill anyways. I mean, there's lots of open spots. For whatever reason, you can't get one. They're always booked, right? So you just go, like, we just ride our bikes through there and pretend we're camping. We're like, hey, you're camping. Cool. We're going to go back home now, <laughs> you know? So, but like, we know that a tent is not permanent. If you live in a tent, it's because you are unhoused. We used to call folks homeless folks. Now we call them unhoused folks. Most people don't want to live in a tent. Like most people don't live in a tent by choice, Right? There are a few people, but most people know they would prefer to have a home. Paul knows that one home is a tent and the other is permanent. That's why he says in verse 23, my desire is to depart this tent and be with Christ for that's far better. Now the word that Paul uses for depart means to literally pack up your tent, put it away, pull up the stakes and move on. It's also the word used for putting up the sails, if you've ever been sailing before, lifting the anchor and sailing away. Sometimes it refers to the freeing of an enslaved person, and sometimes it relates to leaving, uh, to solving a problem. But every time this word is used, it means to permanently leave something behind. Paul says, I need to get out of here permanently to my permanent home but I need to stay here for a while. Now, the Bible talks about eternal life continuously. This life will come to an end. What comes after will not. We don't talk about that a lot today. Like we live here, we, we think about here, but this life will come to an end. And the Bible talks about eternal life continuously. When I was a little kid, my dad is here. My dad preached when I was growing up and I drew pictures while he preached and didn't listen very well. Later on, I was like, I probably should have listened, you know? But there was a thing in the backdrop, it said, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. It was like behind him when he preached. I probably drew it like a thousand times, pretending that I was listening while drawing this picture. I'm sorry, dad. But anyways, um, but I know that verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. I've always known that because it was in our church building when my dad was preaching. Romans, John says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, you know how long eternal is? Permanent. Will you say permanent? Permanent. That's a long time. 
Not like your hair permanent, but that's a long time. Eternal is permanent. We have two homes, but one is temporary and one is permanent. I told you we have two kids away at college. They use the word home interchangeably to describe college and home. Now, our son Jackson, who's at UCSD, rents a home with seven other disgustingly dirty college guys. So we were in that home two days ago. We wrapped ourselves in cellophane and walked in. But I mean, it smells like bug spray. And literally it was 1255. And he said, hey, Trent's still asleep. He's on the couch. (laughs) So we're like super embarrassed, but we needed to go to the bathroom because we drank coffee on the way down there. So like Trent's asleep on the couch, his roommate, who parties a lot. So he was, you know, he was out at night. It was 12. I'm like, it's 1255. Jackson's like, dad's college, you know. So he calls me the other day. He says, I'm on the way home. And I thought he was almost here. But no, he was on the way to his home there next to UCSD where he goes to college. They use both, they use the word home interchangeably to describe two places. We have two homes, but one is temporary and one is permanent. And because Paul knew he had a permanent citizenship, he didn't see the end of his life as a bad thing at all. I mean, that's huge. I kind of want to move on, but I want to stop there. Because he knew he had a permanent citizenship, he didn't see the end of his life as a bad thing at all. One commentator said, Paul wasn't afraid to die. He saw death as the ultimate gaining of his lifelong passion. Like, what is your lifelong passion? You Like, you think of something you just love. You feel like, I love this hobby. It is so enjoyable to me. You know, surfers love to surf. I don't surf, but we have a couple of kids who surf. And I, you know, you, it's like within two miles of the beach, the whole culture changes, doesn't it? It's like, we only live like nine or 10 miles inland. But if you're, if you're at the taco stand next to, next to in La Jolla or whatever, like, like there are people that seem to never like go more than a mile inland. It's like, I'll, I'll melt if I go more than a mile inland. I just live on the sand. I have super long hair like guys, and I, I wait tables three times a week so I can live in this dirty shack and surf my whole life. You know, there are people that, that think like that. That's, that's like, that's their passion. Paul's lifelong passion was to be with Christ. He said, that's my lifelong passion. So as long as I'm here, it's Christ. And if I go, it's Christ. It's awesome either way. To die is not a tragedy, tragedy, all right? But a realization of our hope and expectation. Now, let me stop here and say, this is not a death wish. This isn't like, well, I've always had these, you know, these leanings anyways, and I've kind of wanted to die. This isn't a desire to be done with the struggles of here and now. Paul saw living as good and beneficial. He just saw departing to his permanent home as better. All right, so this isn't like this idea of like, this life sucks. Can I say sucks? You can in this society, right? This life is so horrible. I can't stand it. Someday, Jesus, I hear people like, you know, no, Paul's like, to be here is awesome. To be here is opportunity. But to go on is even better. All right, so we have two citizenships. Always be aware that one is permanent, right? That affects the way we see everything here. There's something on the other side of the citizenship you can't live in the dorms forever, all right? You can't live in the dorms forever. You can't live in a tent forever. Your second home is permanent, and your entire life should be affected by this knowledge, all right? Two down, two more points, but I'll be done in 10 minutes, all right, in case you're nervous. You don't know me, so you're like, what if he preaches for two hours? I won't, I promise, all right? 
I always tell people, okay, this is going to make the sermon go 30 seconds more. I always tell people there's 60-minute preachers, there's 50-minute preachers, and there's 40-minute preachers. And I always tell pastors, you're not a 60-minute preacher. And you're not a 50-minute preacher. Just be a good 40-minute preacher. So that's what I'm going to do. 40 minutes and 30 seconds. All right. Uh, point number three, what do we do while we're here? All right. That's the question that Paul answers. All right. If we have two citizenships, one is permanent, what do we do over here? Paul answers that in verse 21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Number three, our lives here are an opportunity for intentionality. Intentionality. Just two words, opportunity, intentionality. I want you to think about those words. When you leave here today, you're in the car driving away, going to dinner, whatever. Opportunity and intentionality. As much as Paul longed to depart to his permanent home, he's torn, hard-pressed, right? The original author of the song that The Clash wrote, if you remember that song, all right? But think about that later. But to stay and to live as Christ, should I stay or should I go now? Life is not simply something to be endured. Life is a gift and an opportunity to be lived intentionally. Life is a gift and an opportunity to be lived intentionally. One commentator, you know what a commentator is? is people that write books that guys like me study, and it helps us to understand the text. One commentator says of this text, for us, life and death look like two evils, and we aren't sure which is the lesser evil. But for Paul, death is ultimately excellent, but so is life because of the opportunity. You should walk away from this sermon today going, life is awesome, even if it's hard, and even if you're suffering, and even if you wrestle with anxiety or physical pain or depression, or if you've had a hard life. Paul, Paul, Paul was in prison writing this. Okay, so you might feel like my life has been way less than stellar, so is Paul's. All right, in prison going to live, opportunity for intentionality to go even better. All right, now verse 22 says what remaining in the flesh would look like fruitful labor for me intentionality because of opportunity. I had a Bible college professor. I went to a school called Masters 30-something years ago up in the Santa Clarita Valley. And I had a Bible college professor named C.W. Smith. And probably 10 years after I left, he, uh, he got cancer. And he died kind of slowly. And I took a lot of... He made us memorize a lot of Bible verses in our Bible classes. You had to memorize 100 Bible verses, and you had to say them without making a mistake to get an A. So like Shannon and I were just in the pool in Cancun the other day working, sort of, you know, and talking about like, like all the Bible verses we had to memorize in college. When C.W. Smith got cancer after teaching the Bible for 50 years in his 70s, I'll never forget that he called cancer the kind killer. That's what he called it. And he stood up in front of thousands of people and he preached a sermon and he said, I have cancer and it's the kind killer he said, because it gave, it's giving me intentional time to be with the people that I love. And then he said this, he said, I've shown you how to live and now I'm going to show you how to die. Now that's a bold statement for somebody to say, but he could say that because he'd been teaching the Bible for 50 years and had lived a life of faithfulness for that long. And he said, I've shown you how to live and now I'm going to show you how to die. I'm going to show you how a Christian dies. To live as Christ means that my life is an opportunity for intentionality. Christ-centered living 
means living in light of the gospel, living as the New Testament calls followers of Jesus to live. Here's just a few examples of what Christ-centered living looks like. Others-focused, enduring suffering, not quitting. Feel like giving up? Paul probably did too. Daily walking with Christ, being hurt and being willing to forgive, being hurt and continuing to love and serve people, seeing myself as on mission to the neighbors who live around me, aggressively generous, talking to God throughout the day, a life of thankfulness, focusing on God's Word, actually opening it up and reading it, always aware of my dual citizenship, growing, ordinary investment in another person, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In other words, we're a part of a local church. To live as Christ, the opportunity for intentionality. Now, how, how do you know how to live intentionally? Open your Bible tomorrow or tonight before you go to bed and just read a chapter. Read a chapter and ask God, God, show me something in this text that would help me know I can, how I can live my life intentionally. The, you, you can't read the Bible. Not, maybe you haven't read the Bible in a while. Maybe you try to read it and it's super boring and you're reading the book of Numbers. So don't start in the book of Numbers. So you just try to read the one-year Bible plan. You always quit in February. Go over to the New Testament so you get a little bit under your belt, all right? And, and read a chapter in Philippians and go, God, what would you have me to do to live intentionally? Because life is an opportunity for intentionality, all right? We're dual citizens. That's number one. We have two homes, but only one is permanent. Number three, my life here is an opportunity for intentionality. And then lastly, number four, back to verse 21, one last time, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So here's point four. If we live for Christ, then death truly is gain. And we don't think a lot about death, but if we're going to live for Christ, then death truly is gain. Let me unpack this just for like three or four minutes. What connects this life to the next is Christ. That's what makes death gain. So the follower of Jesus has certain death benefits. So if, you, if you've ever like seen the phrase death benefits, it's like a life insurance kind of a term. If you ever bought life insurance before, there's a death benefit. So oftentimes people buy life insurance if they get married and they have kids. You know, the first time my wife went to a women's retreat, I bought life insurance on her, literally. So I'm like, if she dies, we're in huge trouble, you know? So, because I have all these kids. We had four kids, and they all went to church, like with their hair sticking straight up and with their shirts on backwards, right? So, the follower of Christ's death benefits freedom from the evil of this world. No more sin, no more pain, no more anxiety, no more political fights at Thanksgiving, right? Being with Christ forever. We don't live for our jobs. Well, you don't live for your job. You do your job. You don't live for your job. You don't live for your career. Your career is not your identity. All right? We don't live for our jobs. We don't live for sexual fulfillment. And part of what seems to be like really prominent in our, in our, in our society today is relationships seem to only exist for sex. All right? So this isn't a sermon on sex, but I'm going to stop for a second because you need to hear this because most of you are younger than me. All right? So... There's real, man, I'm looking around to just see how carefully you say this, all right? That's really not that big of a part of life. And yet on TV, it feels like it's like 90% of life. 
We don't live for sexual fulfillment. We don't live for fitness and health. I just decided I needed to lose a few pounds. You're looking at me, you're like, why? You know, so, but I, but, but uh, I know I need to lose a few pounds, especially after Cancun. You come back and you're like, I've eaten 70,000 deep fried fish tacos, you know, and so, so, but, but we don't live for fitness and health. If that's your God and, and your idol, then death will be lost. We don't live to feel good. We don't live for our hobbies. We don't live for America. We don't live for our political party. We don't live to be accepted or liked. We don't live for financial security. We don't live for our families even. We don't live for comfort. We don't live to achieve. We don't live for how we look. We don't even live to win. We don't live to win. Now, some of these things are good and necessary as a part of a Christ-centered life. So prioritize your family. The Bible even says to do that. You know, be as healthy as you can and be a good citizen and steward money and resources wisely and work hard. The Bible says to do all those things. But if we live for any of these things, listen to me, if we live for any of these things, then death is the loss. Then death is loss. You have to think about that. It's kind of philosophical. If we live for any of these things, then death will be the loss. Because if for me to live is surfing, to die, I don't get to surf anymore. For me to live is fitness, my body is gone we talk sometimes about like, what if you're only known for being beautiful? You know, because we're in our 50s now, and you look at people who are super beautiful, like in their 20s and 30s, and you see these pictures of these old actresses and actors who are now in their 80s, and you see what they look like in their 20s, and you see people just trying to keep that alive as long as they can because they're known for being beautiful. And if you're beautiful, awesome. You know, enjoy that. Great. God created you to be beautiful. You're all beautiful, or I'll just tell you that. But, but listen, if you live to be beautiful, then death is ultimately going to be loss. All of these things are second at best. All right, so before I close, because it's been 40 minutes and 22 seconds, and I try to stick to my time, I, I want you to remember these four things. We are dual citizens. You got it? I want you to nod your head. We're dual citizens, all right? We have two homes, but only one is permanent. You can't live in the dorms forever. And none of you want to live in a tent forever. All right. But does that mean I just give up and go, might as well just go ahead and die? Nope. My life here is an opportunity for intentionality. Life here is good, no matter how hard it is. I mean, you people, even as they're dying, impact lots and lots of people. All right. Your presence cannot be replaced. I had a counselor say to me one time, what you bring to any room is your sanctified and sanctifying presence. There is nobody else like you in this world. Nobody. Like, you are unique. So it's an opportunity for intentionality. And lastly, if we live for Christ, then death truly is gain. I'm going to close with this. Um, 24 years ago, I went to a funeral for my wife's dad. He died um, at 57 years old, which to some of you sounds, you know, old, but those of you who are getting older already know 57 isn't very old. It's pretty rare to die that young. He got cancer in his early 50s, and he, uh, he was a prison chaplain. So he was in the military. He was a colonel in the military, like, like Bird and all that. you know. And then um, after he retired from the military, he became a prison chaplain. One time, he invited me to preach at his prison. 
So I remember like I, I had to wear a suit, so I dressed up in a suit and I remember checking into the prison and I've seen prison on TV, you know, so I knew exactly what it was going to be like. So we walk in and I thought it was going to be people like trying to grab me out of cells and stuff like that. There's nobody trying to grab me, but actually I'm just walking down this hallway with like prison inmates at a maximum security penitentiary in Texas and me. As I walked down the hallway, I looked at some people. I was like, what's up? You want some of this? You know, and nobody wanted any of that. So I walked in and, and I preached to like a thousand people. And uh, the first guy who introduces himself to me, introduces himself, he says, hey, my name's Spider. I'm like, that is so appropriate for prison, you know? <laughs> so there's so, so many people like standing in line wanting to meet me. Uh, and, I, and all these guys are like, yeah, I've become a Christian since I got to prison. Mike Fleming, Sanders' dad. And, um, and uh, he got big, you know, six foot four inch guy. He liked to, like, lived in Texas, like, was from LA originally, but moved to Texas. He loved to like mow his backyard on his riding mower with no shirt on and a cowboy hat, you know, like belly sticking out. Like it was awesome, you know? So it was Americana at its finest, right? And then all of a sudden he wastes away and he dies from cancer. And we go to this uh, funeral and it's super sad because, you know, my, my wife is young, she's in her 20s. And we go out to the graveside service and there's all like, I'm literally riding in the hearse with the body in the back. I'm in the front seat of the hearse as we drove to the graveside service. And we get to the graveside service and there's all these people there that we didn't know who they were. And there was a chance for everybody to talk. And people started raising their hand and be like, hey, I'm a Christian here because of Mike Fleming. I got saved in prison. I'm a Christian because of Mike Fleming. Mike Fleming, I got saved in prison. And I, I wanted you to see this. They're going to throw it up on the screen. So as we stood there at this tombstone in East Texas, in Palestine, Texas, this is what my wife's dad's tombstone says. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I just wrote this sermon last two weeks ago. Um, I didn't know I was going to preach here today till a few days ago. I told uh, Chris and Oscar and Brian and Mark, I'll preach whenever you need me to. I live one mile away, you know. So, But I, I asked my wife, do you mind if I show this? And she said, no, I want you to know that this is a life well lived. Nobody ever thanked that guy. Nobody ever said he was awesome. I don't think he, he probably, I knew. My dad is here, pastor to church about this size for 30 or 40 years, you know. Like he didn't write 75 books that the whole world read and have, he's that smart, but you know, but one by one by one impacted people. And I, I, I hope that someday when people stand in your graveside, they think of you like this. They think, man, this person was a dual citizen. Uh, life was an opportunity. They're now off to their permanent home. Life here was an opportunity for intentionality. And so they impacted people, and ultimately now, death is game. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.